0: This is the best podcast on the planet. I'm not being biased at all. Thanks for listening, supporting, sharing, and subscribing to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Subscribe today wherever you listen to stay informed. Share with a few friends. Email Dr. Mattman Harrell at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com. Exclamation point. Connect on Instagram at the MindfulFarmD. Check out Link for everything about the podcast. A thousand thanks and stay mindful.
1: Get ready to hear all about an innovative way to fix your sciatica remotely. My guest today is not only an expert at fixing sciatica, but he has a clinical doctorate in physical therapy and is a highly trained expert who can discuss the challenges associated with chronic pain. Of course, we cover the importance of mindset and mindfulness as it relates to dealing with pain from injury or from accident. But you don't want to miss today's episode. Today, I'll be talking to none other than Dr. Ashley Mack, a California-based physical therapist who's ready to fix your sciatica You can check out his website at ifixyoursciatica.com, that's ifixyoursciatica.com, for more information and be sure to review the show notes to find out how you can connect with Dr. Mac from anywhere in the globe. All you need is a telephone. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss today's episode. I am responsible for the healthy systemic function of my body, and so are you. This is why I've joined forces with the Functional Wellness Network to help you navigate how to give your body back the power it needs to promote healthy functioning. Check out my website, mindfully.mynewskin.com. That's mindfully.mynuskin.com for more information. And if you're a provider, chiropractor, MD, physical therapist, Whatever your industry, if you're interested in learning about an innovative, scientifically validated, revolutionary way to test your patient's antioxidant potential, email me at themindfulpharmd at gmail.com or find me on LinkedIn. And this will be a great way for you to measure your patient's antioxidant potential. Because as the saying goes, if you can measure it, you can change it. You're listening to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Welcome and a thousand thanks for tuning in. This podcast is about all of us. I'm your host and the mind behind the microphone, Matt Minharo. My focus on this podcast is to explore the mind through genuine conversations Thought-provoking ideas and the reality that the story of mental health is incomplete. Welcome back, Mindful Nation, to another episode of the Mindful Farm D Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Ashley Mack. Dr. Mack is a physical therapist and strength coach. Uh, he's current. He currently lives and practices in the California area, but that has not stopped him from helping clients all over the country virtually, which we'll talk about here later. He received his doctorate in physical therapy from Thomas Jefferson University in 2012, and since then, Dr. Mack has helped thousands of people get out of and overcome chronic pain. He's worked with clients ranging from weekend warriors to professional athletes. Dr. Mack enjoys sports, hiking, and being generally active. His background in rehabilitation, sports, and being an athlete himself has provided a unique insight into recovering from injury. Dr. Mack, thank you so much for joining today. How are you doing?
0: I am doing great, Matt. I'm excited to be here
1: excellent man i am I'm, I'm glad you're here uh we we connected just for the audience you know we connected uh some some time ago and uh just talking with you um briefly you know in our introduction meeting or in our little powwow as i call it you know you're you you, you resonated with a lot of the things that I like to talk about on the podcast and uh, in particular today because your focus is sciatica and chronic pain, I kind of want to walk through a few of the uh sort of the the, the things you've seen in your practice um, when it comes to helping patients overcome chronic pain um, and how you walk them through that. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I do want to sort of talk a little bit about your origin story. You know, I think every superhero has a very compelling origin story uh, or very interesting origin story. Um, and so given that you are involved in uh, helping patients, you know, overcome chronic pain uh, you know, I, 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 consider you a superhero. So Talk to us a little bit about your origin story.
0: Matt, and I love the fact that you are bringing up the concept of superheroes and their origin story. I'm actually a huge comic book, Marvel Universe superhero fan myself. So when you ask that question, the first thing I think about is, all right, how did I get involved? So if I were to a superhero backstory, it'd actually be very similar to like how Spider-Man got his powers. I did not get bitten by a radioactive spider. But okay. <laughs> I got involved with this profession kind of by accident. Uh, I was an athlete my entire life. I grew up in New Jersey. I had the opportunity to swim uh, in college. And prior to that, before I actually even got into college, I had to figure out what college was I going to to attend, what student would I would be. And I remember going to the guidance counselor's office my senior year, and I walked in saying, I need to apply to college, but I have no idea what I should be doing. And then my guidance counselor asked me, well, Ashley, what do you like to do? And I've always enjoyed science. I really liked being an athlete. So the first thing that came to my head was the fact that a lot of my high-level swimming friends were going to physical therapy because they were hurt, but they would come back and they were feeling great. They swam really well and they healed from whatever injury they had. So I thought that it was always a really cool thing, but I've never actually been a physical therapy client myself. So I kind of just told physical therapy sounds like a cool profession, again, with no knowledge of what happens. I just knew the result of physical therapy. So when I told my guidance counselor, she said, oh, you would be an amazing physical therapist. And then I just applied to physical therapy school as a high school student through an accelerated program. So I had the opportunity to actually graduate a year early with my doctorate um, and really was on this fast track to being a physical therapist. Uh, For the listeners out there, physical therapy education is usually a four-year undergrad in whatever study you want and then a three-year doctorate program uh, after that. So I was able to do that instead of seven years, and I was actually able to do that in six. Uh, and then when I got into physical therapy school, I still didn't really know what the profession entailed. I knew, again, people would come in and they would feel better. So I said, okay, well, what, what's what's all this magic, right? And I went to school, went through my clinicals, realized that yes, this is actually the profession that I wanted to do. Again, this was all by accident. It was all by an idea of being able to say, wow, physical therapy sound like a good idea, but I didn't really know what it entailed. And then so as I've grown as a clinician, I've developed one thing that I pride myself And my ability is to be able to associate information and facts with other information and facts, in addition to my ability to memorize a lot of different things as well. So my superpower came about being able to make these associations. And I realized that I was able to make people uh, healthy and heal much faster than a lot of my physical therapy peers. uh, And the reason being was the fact that I created this system in my head that actually simplified a lot of the various different concepts when it comes to pain management. And I was getting people better really quickly and patient or client stay only for a couple of weeks. That's not necessarily good for business. And I kind of got um, some criticisms from uh, the supervisors I was working with. But then I said, you know what? There's gotta be a different way. There's gotta be a different way to providing physical therapy care Got to be a different way so I can provide the care that I want and get the results that I want. Again, I was fixated on being able to make people feel better. So then that's actually when I ended up leaving uh, the typical physical therapy clinic. I actually got involved with the fitness world, started coaching CrossFit, and then I opened up my own physical therapy practice uh, in Hoboken, New Jersey. And then shortly thereafter, I actually opened up my own uh, brick-and-mortar physical fitness facility called Hudson River Fitness. And we focused primarily on strength training, some cardio, helping people get healthy. Uh, And especially with the the pandemic that's happening today, you know, health and mental health is really important when it comes to the well-being of human beings. And so being able to tie that in... uh, Everything goes on the fact that, man, I kind of got into this profession by accident. I kind of got that radioactive spider and I have this knowledge and this ability to help others. Now it's time for me to branch out and help as many people as possible.
1: Yeah. So where, where are we? And I want to come back to a few of the things you mentioned. Where, where are we in the timeline? Are we like, um, so how, how long ago was this? This is, uh, you've been practicing for how long now?
0: Yeah, I've been practicing since 2012, so almost 10 years. So okay, my first year out of school was around uh, 2013. I was in the clinic. I just wasn't happy in the clinic because I like to do things a certain way, and so uh, I ended up splitting into at the end of 2013 and got involved in the fitness industry in 2014, and that's where I came across uh, CrossFit. And weightlifting and strength training. And I saw there was a huge parallel between physical rehab, strong and getting fit and active. I see the, the, the health and wellness as a spectrum. And so physical rehab and strength and fitness belong on the same spectrum. And, I find it really beneficial to be able to walk people along that spectrum, um, whether it be with me or getting them, uh, involved with, uh, with another professional who can take them even further through that fitness wellness continuum, which, uh, which I find to be really beneficial.
1: Yeah, definitely. So what, what was your, man, just, just so much to ask you right now, but let, let me, ask you, <laughs> what, what was your, um, let's let's define cuz i know lately here your your focus has been on sciatica and in fact your website i fixed your sciatica um dot com what is sciatica and then what was your approach you know early on um if i'm tracking correctly that separated you from you know some of your other peers like specifically like how how is it that you were able to bring people to resolution and overcoming that pain uh, quicker, as you say,
0: than your than your colleagues. So glad you asked. Yes, sciatica is definitely a huge passion of mine, and sciatica is often related to back pain too. So, uh, for your listeners out there, you probably heard the concept of sciatica uh, before, and people would say like, "Oh, I have sciatica," or "You got sciatica," and really nothing leads to it. And so, the the definition of sciatica is pain that can originate and would travel down one leg uh, on the backside of your leg, particularly on the the glutes, hamstrings, and then the lower leg on the backside. The definition is irritation of the sciatic nerve. and Irritation of the sciatic nerve, and the sciatic nerve extends from your low back, um, goes from L4 down to S3, and it uh, travels all the way down your leg. And What sciatica is, is really just more so a description of the pain that you have. The reality is that sciatica can be caused by many different sources. It can be caused by arthritis in your back or even like a herniated disc, which a lot of people have and fix it on. But it could also be due to tight glutes and tight hips or even just improper posture. Um, And then even if you were to say, um, if you were to fall on your behind, Uh, You might feel like a zinger in your leg or your calf, and that's because when you fell, that would be an irritation of sciatic nerve. So sciatica itself is a description of the pain where you're experiencing it from your low back down to down the back of your leg um, and then pretty much anywhere below the knee. Okay, Um, so
1: before before you dive into your approach, it's just like a random question that came to mind. Ken, this is what I've been told throughout my years of living is that putting your wallet in your back pocket can cause sciatic. Is that true?
0: You're absolutely right. So putting your wallet in your back pocket can irritate your sciatic nerve. And the reason being is that when you put your wallet in your back pocket, um, which is interesting, I find that this actually happens more so in men than women because women carry their wallets in bags and us men just carry it in our pockets, right? Sure. Um sure. When you put in your back pocket, that glute muscle, that's actually the crossing point of where the sciatic nerve is. So if you end up having a thick wallet and what's interesting, whether you stretch a nerve or if you compress it, like you're applying pressure, you're actually depriving that tissue of oxygen. And the body is really sensitive when it comes to detecting any sort of change. So even the slightest drop in and oxygen in a specific area can set off a whole bunch of alarms. So what you can experience it would be some like pins and needles going down the back of your leg, down to your foot, or even pins and needles in your foot. Um, And what's really cool is that if that's the cause of your sciatica, you can either take the wallet out or you switch on over to the other butt cheek, but just being in mind, keeping in mind that uh, when you put that wallet in your back pocket, you are adding a little bit of pressure to that nerve itself. Understood. Yeah. I,
1: I actually just, again, just random thoughts, but I actually keep my wallet now in my front pocket because, you know, that was made aware to me uh, some years ago. I didn't, but I didn't know then if it was just, you know, he say, she say, or was it like for real, mm-hmm. if you do this, you're going to, you know, you're causing more damage. So I actually keep it in my front pocket now, uh, which some nice. I think is weird.
0: <laughs> but anyway. So- you know what? I, I, um, when I'm walking around, I actually like to keep it in my back pocket because i mean yeah usually when i'm sitting down i put it in my front pocket but when i'm walking around it just feels so weird to me i don't know if yeah. you feel that now
1: yeah it does it does feel weird it looks weird but i've just become so accustomed to it now i don't even really uh think twice about it but yeah starting out i was just like yeah this is weird people are gonna think i'm weird because i'm I'm putting my wallet in my front pocket but i would go on and explain why um and, and so anyway it's it's nice to actually talk to a professional and uh you know there you go, folks. You heard it from from a professional, yes, putting your wallet in your back pocket or really anything, any kind of consistent pressure on that back wall or that back leg um can upset and, and, and cause some sciatic pain so all right, so going back to your your approach and 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 this will kind of lead into um Uh, a specific, uh, protocol that you use currently, but so going back to your approach, what separated you from your colleagues in, uh, in your early days of, you know, with specifics in your early days of, of, uh, treating chronic pain.
0: The evolution of physical therapy, even over the past 10 years, there's been a big evolution, but, um, ultimately there's two trains of thought that come what that comes to treating pain uh, we have a diagnosis which is going to be specifically okay if you have sciatica we are going to be focusing on giving you all the exercises and stretches that uh, could help sciatica pain that's that's the the first train of thought um, the second train of thought, A little bit more popular, but still kind of more of that fringe type of uh, treatment plan. And it's not fringe because it's extremely crazy, but um, it just requires a little bit more of a deeper thought process from the practitioners. The second option is what we call patient-centered care. And um, patient-centered care, I mean, it's really the focus on what patient-centered care is, is how you, the patient or the client is responding to sizes and stretches being provided. So if we look at like a diagnostic treatment approach, it's like, okay, you have sciatica pain. I have 13 different exercises that I know can help sciatica pain. I'm going to give them all to you. So it's kind of like that shotgun approach. And it's kind of, you do that shotgun approach and you hope something would stick. And um, great benefits from a diagnostic treatment-based program where uh, you Giving a lot of different instruction um, and you're addressing a lot of different issues. But is when we're looking at trying to treat something like pain, we have to address one component and one factor in that person's life at a time. So there's going to be a lot of missed opportunities if you go right into the get go 13 different exercises to treat this diagnosis. Um, yeah, that's-, that's what I used to put with the older school of thought. Um, And it delivered okay results. I mean, typical uh, treatment plan or length of time for those types of clients with that, uh, sorry, with sciatica pain and a diagnosis type of treatment, I remember seeing people between four to six months of of rehab. And what's interesting is that typical tissue healing lasts, it's, it's around six to 12 weeks ish. And so then I started asking, well, if I know that tissues and bodies heal within that six to 12 weeks is what I'm providing to this client. Is it actually helping them or are they just healing from like from the processes of their body? Right. So then that was the first red flag or the first question that brought up. And then um, I was actually trained uh, as an intern I'm using uh, an assessment protocol, which is going to be focused specifically on the client, the patient-centered care. And that's where when I work with my clients during the evaluation, I would say about in in like a 30 and a 45 minute to an hour initial evaluation with a a client for the first time, I would say at least 75% of that interview is a lot of asking questions, trying to figure out What caused the pain in the first place? But then also try to figure out positions and exercises would actually provide the most amount of benefit. And what's going to be important is that we avoid those. And then there's going to be positions and stretches that will, in fact, reduce the pain. And I'm asking you, how are you feeling as a result of what we're doing? And that in itself will really dictate the care and gives us a much more exact and pinpoint way to treat this pain rather than I'm going to throw 13 different things at you and hope a couple of them stick. So,
1: you know, you're, you're really, you're really uh, looking, you know, I should say systemically at the patient, right? Looking at maybe multiple factors during your assessment process, multiple factors that might either, uh, well, that could be a source of information on understanding how this specific patient would respond to your treatment plan. And I I think that there is a correlation here because, again, you know, my focus is um, often on you know mental health and whatnot. But I think there's a correlation here because, in the mental health space, um, there's there again two schools of thought, and there may be more, but really two primary schools of thought when it comes to approaching a patient for um, psychiatric uh, assistance or mental health uh, assistance in order to come, you know, to overcome depression. And we know that, uh, and we may talk about this later. When a patient is dealing with chronic pain, for example, there might be some corresponding uh, depression or, fe- or 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 feelings of hopelessness because their issue that maybe they've tried all of these different regimens and have not found success in um, in in, uh, in their therapy. But anyway, within the mental health space, you know, you look at a patient uh, holistically um, and on a spectrum because if you just go with diagnoses, then you, again, like you said, you may run the risk of uh, applying some type of therapeutic uh, modality or psychiatric modality that will that will miss out on this patient's unique um, mental health state or mental health perspective or, uh, again, corresponding factors. And so I, I, I'm, I'm attaching myself to what you're saying or I'm agreeing with what you're saying because of the, you know, as humans, we don't exist in um, a vacuum. Um, but there are so mm-hmm. many different factors that can uh, play a role in how well we respond to treatment, whether that's medicinal, whether it's non-medicinal, um, again, in terms of mental health, whether it's, um, you know, psychological, what, whatever approach you take, it's it's good for practitioners to do so by looking, in my opinion, by looking at the unique patient perspective um, and their patient uh, patient situation. So, you know, that that's sort of a, what I hear from you, when I hear you are saying, you know, you, you're looking at this unique, or you're looking at the patient-centered approach of uh, for treating chronic pain. So, is there just by way of extension, is there any space in your therapy, say, for um, pharmacological treatment? I, I know that sometimes you, uh, you know, just looking at your website and stuff, that you would rather not use um, uh, pharmacological treatment. But do you find that there is space? For patients to use pharmacological treatment in addition to whatever um, stretches and things that you 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 prescribe.
0: Absolutely, I think there's a ton of space. I think, uh, as you said, a large part is looking at the the patient from many different angles and getting a lot of the information necessary to make a decision. Ultimately, you as a physical therapist, any of our healthcare practitioners, we're scientists. Right. Yeah. And when it comes to approaching science, we have to use the scientific method. And the scientific method says get as much data as you can first, then create your hypothesis and then test things out and then using that information to to really build that out. Um, the way that I see it from like the, the space. Or uh, pharmacology, whether it be pain medication, muscle relaxants, all those different things. Now, it's outside the scope of my practice to recommend the use of it. However, um, what I do see is that these medications can actually take the edge off of your pain in some cases, which is so good because it allows you to explore things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to explore if you were in so much pain. And I think it is important for people to know that it will take the edge off, allow you to feel a little bit closer to normal so you can try different exercises. Um, But it also is important to keep in mind that if you are taking a pain medication, the pain medication isn't going to uh, address the hernia or it's not going to address the arthritis. Um, And so it provides us a little bit more wiggle room and trying to figure out what makes you better, worse, uh, or the same. And it, it, it really opens the door for us to uh, assess and, and get more information as compared to being significantly limited by all the pain that you're experiencing. So
1: just... And, and, you know, so just to shift here gears a little bit um, yeah. when it cause I mentioned in my uh, response here a few minutes ago about the, the correlation between mental health, chronic pain, what, what have you seen in your practice um, from patients when they show up to your, your, you know, your practice seeking help, seeking a way out, seeking that freedom um, that we know is available to them uh, to overcome this chronic pain. What, what are some, um, some, I guess, mindsets or perspectives that you've seen, and then as a follow-up, how do you help a patient kind of walk through um, what they might be dealing with on a mental level, um, or on a on a you know self discouraging level uh, on, on on walking through their uh, their freedom coming out of that chronic pain?
0: Yeah, so uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming agree that uh, no one ever wants to be in pain so by the time you're in pain and you're experiencing you're like oh oh dear like this is not what I want and so here you're given this thing that you never intended on having and it's affecting every aspect of your life now when people come in and see me I do um whether there's a we, as physical therapists, we do what is called a depression screening. It's two very important questions, and one is going to be: Have you noticed that you have, have a little to no um, enjoyment in doing things? That's that's going to be uh, question number one. And the second question is going to be: Over the past six months, have you um, have you bo- been bothered by uh, not being interested, or have you been by not feeling any hope? for the future. So those two things for us in the physical therapy world indicates that there is some sort of mental health aspect that needs to be addressed. Now, I find from a physical therapy standpoint, um, more often than not, when it comes to say something with something correlated with depression, uh, depression itself isn't causing the pain, more so the depression or the mental health challenges actually intensifies the pain so the pain is already there but because there is some sort of challenge uh the pain becomes more intensified it's kind of like turning the volume up on your pain and so yeah. at that point um that's, that's actually where i would say um uh, This is a perfect opportunity to communicate with the mental health professional. So then that way we can really keep everything in check and address everything from multiple pieces. I'm a huge fan of telling people if we're not addressing this other piece of the puzzle, I'm doing you a huge disservice by preventing, by not giving you the resources, the tools to be able to do that. So I think that the aspect of of mental health uh, is an amplifier on that yeah. because with depression or anxiety uh, your body is going through a, a lot of different things and when you're more sensitive to the pain that you're experiencing that sensitivity will influence everything else that you're doing on a daily yeah. basis so i would say uh recommend that we they speak with the professional uh in regards to that and then ensuring that uh or the team is in good clear communication being able to say how I can help this person, all of us as a team, take care of this client. Yeah. So how,
1: in that, how important would you say, you know, self narrative is when dealing with chronic pain patients, you know, coming in and again, they just have this defeated sense of, of self. Maybe they've, they've, you know, a lot of times when you, when you're dealing with patients, they've already come to therapy um, with some preconceived notions. They've done research online and, and maybe, maybe for their condition, um, There's this mindset out there globally that, well, there's just no way out. And so, you know, comment a little bit on how how important do you feel self-narrative is, um, patient self-narrative, when dealing with uh, an issue like chronic pain, sciatica, so on and so forth?
0: Uh, Extremely important. Um, A large part, and uh, I've read research articles. I don't know the sources offhand, but I know that uh, establishing um, patient or client trust with practitioners Mm -hmm. Um, actually has a, a huge impact on rehab outcomes, and that can be influenced by self-narrative. And um, if we're looking at the concept of chronic pain, you're you're in pain, and you're you're experiencing this this challenge for for more than 12 weeks. You've reached the chronic stage, and. You probably have tried out many different things, um but say for example, if you're trying out another practitioner, even though you think you have uh done the the gamut of rehab to manage your pain, but you're trying out another practitioner, there's a glimmer of hope that means that you are hoping that you are hopeful that that you that that you are going to be recovering, so already that door is open and it's gonna be playing a huge role. Um, In that, But ultimately, I find that it is, in fact, a two way um, being able to communicate what you're feeling, where your mindset is at. And then you have the practitioner, whether it be a physical therapist or a mental health specialist, or even even looking at the pharmacological aspects of it is being able to uh, voice your concerns and be able to communicate with that. So definitely has a huge impact. Um, And I think it is important for you to share that narrative with with others. Absolutely, yeah. I like
1: that, man. I, I like how you said it's an open door, and you know, just by way of sharing, um, it does. Again, it's just another source of important information um, when establishing a unique patient uh, thera- therapeutic um, regimen. Uh, and so, knowing the again, knowing the patient's perspective also helps you build that trust, as you stated o- on your on your website. You um, you you wrote a blog. You know, for folks who don't know, he also uh, Dr. Mac also has a blog uh, on his website and uh, one of the articles discussed behavioral changes um, and how, uh, you know, how to walk through or how to navigate, I should say, how to navigate um, developing new behaviors uh, when you're dealing with issues of chronic pain. And so, uh, you know, Ashley, I want you to kind of walk through a little bit that blog post uh, where you discuss things like laughter, for example, when developing a new behavior. Can you kind of walk us through through uh, behavioral changes and how you employ them when uh, helping a patient in, involve new uh, new practices and stuff in their life to overcome chronic pain?
0: Absolutely. And I have to say thank you to my uh, nutrition coach, uh, Sarah Subhani, who was actually the inspiration to this, uh, to this blog post. So just wanted to give her credit there. But ultimately, if we're looking at it, um, there's a lot of different injuries that can happen, some traumatic if you were to slip and fall. But for any of the pain that comes on out of a sudden, you can't really recall what brought that pain on in the first place. That often speaks to me of how you'll go about moving around your day, how you're sitting, how you're walking, carrying things and, and we could actually focus on specific exercises to help improve those mechanics for doing things and we don't have to necessarily think about it and it's a hundred percent automatic no matter how exhausted or no matter how stressed we are that is an essence of behavior and what we have to do as therapists um is to be able to the necessary techniques and exercises to help people recover but then also tap into the behavior that will actually their prolonged recovery uh, over time. There's only so much that we can do during a 45 minutes, one hour, one on one session, and there's only so much that you could do during your one hour of rehab that you daily yeah. basis. There's 23 other hours in the day, which is why it's so important to help transition everything that we're doing, uh, and all of these new skills uh, or these foreign skills, uh, into your everyday practice. And so we have, uh, four major pieces to really influence change, uh, because it does take time and it can be really hard because you're adding something completely new. And, uh, like as much as I am excited to make changes to my life and my, um, it's quite a disruptor. It creates a lot of disruption in your life. And so Absolutely. coming across these four action steps, it's made behavior change a lot easier and a lot more fun than uh, than the otherwise. And so the first piece of ensuring that behavior is moving in the right direction uh, is is the concept of having a laugh mix. I know it sounds kind of silly, but laugh makes things a little bit And oftentimes, especially when you're trying something new and you're trying to implement into your daily routine, we can often be fixated on the negatives, on the failures. And so adding laughter into that actually allows us to just shift our mindset a little bit and give us an opportunity to overcome those negative thoughts. And when we overcome those negative thoughts, we have the opportunity to change and change regularly. Um, Do you want me to go on or... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Just, just by way of a comment on that one, you know, laughter can also be contagious, and so, like, even if you're laughing to yourself, it can can actually create, um, you know, laughter within yourself. And so, you know, I I always tell people if you're having a bad day or you're going through a difficult situation, and we know that, you know, rehab and, and practicing some of these things can be challenging, as we've mentioned, especially if you're developing a new behavior around it. Just smiling about it or laughing about it um is a way to improve your outlook um and it's a way also to mirror a new now positive behavior um as you go through your experience does that make sense yeah but that
0: makes a ton of sense and i watched this TED talk where it talks about the positions that your body's in that will actually how you feel and they were talking about power poses and everything and getting yourself ready to do anything and so i'll you um i'm standing up recording this episode with you standing with my hands on my hips in a powerful position because i know but that if i was speaking with you I cross i would not be as talkative as i am now so you are absolutely right laughter contagious and then also even just smiling will actually that specifically for you so that that is that is a really huge piece um then yeah. then the, the, the next action step that is is pretty common and I've been hearing about this, uh, even as a young athlete, is this concept of visualization, mm-hmm. what, what success looks like. Uh, we call it future projections and looking at, okay, this is what life could be. And so it gives you an opportunity to be able to say, this is where I'm going. But then you can also reflect, okay, um, this is how far I've progressed. And how you have changed the more likely you are and keep up with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like tapping into, you know, some of the more, I guess, primitive, primitive areas of our brain of imagination, for example. Um, and, you know, really, really preparing your, not only your brain, but also your body for that action, that action that you're, that you need to take, or that you're getting ready to take. Uh, and then this, you know, I imagine this visualization uh, or this, this mental vision board, if you will, teaching you how to respond to an event or circumstance before it actually happens. And so all of this is happening on a, on a, uh, on a mental level, but then it's, it's sort of manifest in the present, um, in the present in your present situation and gives you that ability uh, to walk through your rehab and to walk through your, your new, now your new behavior. So talk, talk about that next one. Um, I think it's anchoring is, is, is. Yeah.
0: So anchoring is, these new behaviors and actions with things that already happen in your life to begin with and that ties into which is tying everything into your environment but um what activities and what you do on a normal or in essence what we call like a religious basis but like the big thing is, regardless of how stressed or or tired you are, you still act and do these actions. And so, um, the example that Sarah puts in is um, is actually uh, ensuring that you're actually drinking a glass of water, uh, or even actually ensuring that uh, adequate fluid intake. Um, Around your meals, um, um, what's interesting is that I'm a person when I'm eating. Really I drink that water. much water, um, so I end up being really dehydrated throughout the day. But I drink a ton of water when I eat because it was a habit that I, I eat three square meals a day. So, thinking, saying, "All right, well, if I'm going to be action or behavior into my day, how I fit it into the thing already doing." So then that way you can follow the path of least resistance. And I just want to make a quick note. I I feel like uh, in, in today's society, uh, the concept of working really hard is glorified. Uh, you have people who are talking about the grind, being like, I pulled a 14-hour workday, and people are saying that with pride. Um, but I think what's important is for help people that going like pursuing the path of least resistance necessarily uh negate all the hard work and everything that you've done at that point and i think it, it takes a ton of to find at least resistance so if you're, you're- going to be fun- uh, implementing these new changes why would it like it, it would make a lot more sense to add this into things that you're already doing than trying to go at it really hard because Going it really hard, you're going to get tired, you're going to get exhausted, you're most likely not going to maintain that behavior in the long term because usually habits within about six weeks. Um, yeah, that's, that's for one habit, right? right? So if you're looking at turning that into a behavior, you're looking at months of ensuring that you're getting this automatic behavior. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And you yeah. you, you also talk about setting, um, you know, setting in, a, setting those smart goals, and that in itself can be a form of again, a form of work because you have to actually sit down and think about, well, where am I now? You know, where can I be in the next week? Where can I be in the next two months uh, and make that plan? And, you know, hopefully it's being done with a professional like you uh, or in consultation with a professional like you um, so that the, your, you know, again, your experience is not, I don't want to use the word easy, but it, it's more attainable. Uh, it's more realistic for mm-hmm. you to be to be able to achieve those goals Um, If you actually set, set those goals. (laughs) Uh, And so, Mm -hmm. you know, working at that and, and, and I I like that you pointed out how it's, 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 everything's a rat race, you know, even your own self care sometimes can can turn into a a rat race and a competition. Um, And it's like, you know, why have that mentality when to your point, you're just going to end up, you know, burning out, which is a buzzword now burnout is a buzzword now, but burning yourself out, you know, so Take take the time to be intentional. In other words, about where you are, no understanding where you are, and documenting or writing down or visualizing where you want to be. I think that is so that is so key and has so much implication and application. Um, uh, you know, in various aspects of our lives, especially when it comes to treating chronic pain. Um, I wanted to ask you about the um, the sciatica protocol and kind of. Because I thought this was a, a cool aspect of your your practice, um, and so can you can you talk a little bit about the sciatica protocol? Tell us what that is.
0: I am so happy to talk about this sciatica protocol. So. At, at iFixYourSciatica.com, which is my website, I work with people uh, one-on-one virtually. Um, if you're living in the Marin County, California, I can actually go to your house and can meet in person. But for most people who live across the country, we'll actually meet via Zoom and we'll actually work together one-on-one, again, focusing on how you as a person can respond. And the Sciatica Protocol, which is a... It's pretty much taking my brain and how I actually treat sciatica. And it it actually walks you through managing your own sciatica pain all through the comfort of your own phone. And the great news is the fact that you do not have to download anything. You will actually be texted daily reminders on the stretches that are going to be the most impactful and beneficial to you. So I literally took my brain and I put in and developed this system where you're communicating with me or one of my my team members, all via text message. And so what ends up happening is that you don't have to worry about dedicating yourself to a specific appointment time trying to meet with me. Um, and then also too, you don't necessarily have to wait to get sciatica care because all you need to do is end up texting the number and saying, I'm having sciatica pain, what do I do? And you'll go through a series of questions and guided stretches. And again, the guided stretches and the exercises you're doing will be based on how you're responding to those exercises and stretches. And what's great is the fact that, um, again, you do not have to download Uh, any sort of thing. And it's all you need is the phone and access to YouTube because that's where we're going to have those videos um, in store for you and ensuring that you are in fact making yourself better.
1: I want to, I want to put that, that phone number, if it's okay with you in the show notes, but can you, is it okay for you to share that number here? Can you share that number here now? Yes. Yes. If anybody wants
0: to reach out to you. So, if you want to get involved with this sciatic protocol and manage your sciatica pain via text message, all you need to do is actually text sciatica, which is spelled S C I S C I A T I C A, to 551 231 1318. And the other option, if you don't recall, you can just send me an email, info at ifixyoursciatica.com to hear all more about it. But I wanted to be able to create this this program because, uh, unfortunately, I'm only one person. I wish I can clone myself, right? <laughs> but I created this protocol to be able to serve more, way more people than I could ever do in my lifetime. And so it's taken me 10 years to treat, uh, I would say, about 1,000 people but I foresee that with this sciatica text protocol, I can affect and help more than a thousand people in less than a year by just providing them this amazing service.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, man. And you know, I, I just going drawing back on our uh, early discussion about Spider-Man, I just I don't know why, I just visualize when you when you make this these types of tools available to people, um, you know, via phone, via via uh, computer, whatever the case might be, in order, in, you know, in order to contact you, I, I, I have this the quote Ben uh, Uncle Ben's quote, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So we have these tools like our cell phones that we can use to get the care we need. So why not use them? Um, so I'm I'm happy to have people on like you who are innovating uh, and creating new ways for um, clients to get in, co- not only get in contact with you, but to, I mean, just to start, just to. Th- start therapy, start that process of walking towards uh, the freedom from that chronic pain.
0: Thank you. Yeah, this, I'm, I'm really pumped. And yeah, that was the, that was the same quote I was thinking as well. <laughs> um,
1: As a, as we kind of come to a close, I, I want to talk one last time and not, or I want to sort of mention one story I thought on your website was very interesting. And I want you to Uh, talk about this client, of course, being being um, mindful of, you know, hippo, whatnot. uh, But it is on your website. It's a video that is available on on your website. But you share a story of a client uh, who injured her her back, I believe, by picking up a tissue box. And, you know, you talk a little bit about how you were able to help her. And the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this story is because I really do believe that these types of personal stories help. Listeners uh, connect to the content that you're sharing, and so can you. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that that client? You know, just m- maybe high level or briefly, kind of talk about her story and how you were able to help her um, overcome her her issue of chronic pain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I happy that story, and it's one of my favorite stories because it makes me think about how uh, the the human body is amazingly resilient and. When I say amazing realism, we can withstand a lot of uh, a lot of suffering and pain. And that's a huge, I mean, the reasons why us humans are able to innovate and get stronger and push human performance. But what's interesting is that those alarms in our, in our bodies and our brain are there for a reason. They're used to protect us. And so here we have this woman. Who, uh, after their thirtieth birthday part, af- after their thirtieth birthday, and prior to their thirtieth birthday, they were active. They were, they were, they, they were getting nice and strong, and they were fit, and they were moving around. around. But then, after their thirtieth birthday, they bent over to grab a box of tissues, and all of a sudden, their back screamed at them, It was so bad to the point they couldn't even move. And for most people, when you hit that thirtieth year, uh, I remember when I was in my twenties, someone told me they're like Ashley, never. Never turn thirty. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like never turn thirty. True, true I like, okay, story.
1: When, got when it. I when I turned thirty, sorry to interrupt you, but when I turned thirty, my my knees just instantly started hurting on that day.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just like never get old, and I and I said, okay, well, that that's that. I mean, as much as I would like that, that's the thing is that we do age, and I think it is important for us to understand that there's aging. And then there's also getting old and aging is something that is going to be happening. And that is kind of out of our choice. The years will go by, right? I remember looking at it, it was yesterday that it was January this year. And we are literally more than halfway through 2021. And when we look at the, it comes to the aspect of like getting old, getting old, I believe is this concept of like a personal choice. You let things happen. Uh, not sorry, not you let, but things happen. Tribute that to yeah. to the fact that we are older but the great news is the fact that um and this is one of the things that i often tell my, my clients is i'm giving them the tools and am giving them the power to heal and to get stronger and interesting things with like bending over and getting this tissue box um bending over and grabbing a tissue box is is a is a movement uh called the hinge movement where we should be using our hips and when someone tweaks their back when trying to pick really really light what that tells me is something uh that could have been i guess i'll quote like inherently wrong they were moving in a way that wasn't efficient and when we aren't efficiently we have to use a lot of energy and it puts a lot of stress in our bodies and ultimately when we accumulate a lot of stress that's actually where we can end up with physical pain so going through this Of of working with her and helping her get back into exercising and getting healthy again I asked her uh, uh, as I said before um, the first session 75 was just asking her question after question okay how did you pick this box up what were you doing before you were picking this box up and Mm. every question realized that one, if uh, it turns out that they were that their job requires them to sit for a long period of time, and when you're sitting for a long period of time, it puts a lot of stress in your low back and also a lot of stress in your hips. And then if you're already if your back is already stressed out, and you do another stressful thing, which is going to be bending over and picking something up without the efficient movement, you're putting even more stress on that. So for her, we've identified a lot of the issues. When. and accumulation of stress is due. To uh, some inefficiencies, but then also part of it was that after her back, she was really scared and 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 anxious about doing anything. And when you're scared and anxious about doing anything, it paralyzes you mentally, yeah. prevents you from doing a lot of different things. And so, throughout the time that I was working with her, we were trying to find actionable things, but then creating successful opportunities for her to feel more confident and less scared uh, and went through. So just picking up a tissue box. to the point where she was lifting like a hundred pounds off the floor uh, without any sort of issues because she felt confident, strong, and in power and in control of how she was feeling. Wonderful, wonderful.
1: Yeah, I, I love that story, man, because it, it shows just how simple, uh, again, something like something as simple as picking up a tissue box can cause you pain. I mean, just imagine the stress that we put on our bodies um, in in work when we're not trying to pick up a tissue box or not trying to pick up our child um just the the simple things that can instantly uh again depending upon some of, some of the factors that you mentioned can instantly cause us to to be thrust into the need for uh pain treatment um and some some people unfortunately they they don't un, un, uh, overcome those things uh, especially without the help of, again, trained professionals like yourself. So, um, thank you for sharing that story. Are you ready for thank some you. some uh, some rapid fire questions? I you am ready. <laughs> All right. So, first question is: um, What what is mindfulness to you?
0: Mindfulness to me. Is being in the in whatever you're doing. I find that with the world of distractions, our phones are literally miniature computers that we can do everything on. It's very easy for us to be taken out of the mode of doing whatever we're doing, and I think it does a couple different things. Like if you're out and distracted um, while you're doing a specific task, uh, it could be beneficial because it just gives opportunity to clear your head but then i find that moment what ends up happening is it turns down the noise of everything around you and what's interesting is that if you put on a pair of headphones and you crank the volume all your ears are going to crack it's going to be real uncomfortable you probably will not be able to listen to whatever you're listening to for very But if you lower the volume a little bit to a manageable volume and you can listen to whatever you're listening to, even if you're listening to this podcast, absorb and be in the moment. And there's a huge calming piece um, when it comes to being involved with whatever task. I I love chopping vegetables. When I'm chopping vegetables, like the only thing doing is chopping vegetables. And it's like one of my favorite Sunday activities. I also cut vegetables very slowly though. So it's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that was actually going to be my next question is how do you practice mindfulness? So you mentioned, you know, chopping vegetables. And I, I, I so appreciate you mentioning that because a lot of times people think that mindfulness is this activity you have to set aside and you have to, and I actually covered this in one other episode of my podcast, you know, they they confuse just being mindful or mindfulness with mindfulness meditation, which is a form of of practicing mindfulness. But you know, you can be mindful washing your dishes. You can be mindful, uh, like you mentioned, cutting your vegetables. You can be mindful when you're sitting down to dinner. Uh, you know, to have a meal or you know lunch or whatever. Uh, and so, I like that you that you specifically stated that you're, you're uh, you cutting vegetables for you is an is an opportunity for you to be mindful. Are there any others?
0: Oh yeah. So, um, like cutting vegetables, um, I have, uh, over the past couple of years, I took up the, the, the martial art of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with what Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is, it's uh it's a martial art, which is going to be more so like a grappling type of wrestling type of movements. Now I'm still very much a beginner, but what I find is, is that when you're trying to learn completely new, uh, such as this, I I really cannot think about anything else but a specific task, and so the environment of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu makes me more mindful. It pulls me in. Anything else that happens outside of the school is, is is disappeared, and I'm focusing specifically on the task at hand. So I find that to be probably one of my most mindful. Uh, points in time is when I'm in a jiu-jitsu class and I'm learning about how to do these specific techniques. It's it's really amazing and something that I find to be very, very important to uh, my mindfulness practice. Um, I tried a little bit of mindfulness meditation. My body just has a tendency to fidget. So I know that if I try to sit there and try to concentrate, I often get frustrated. So doing more of like a physical movement, That's where I find to be really beneficial for me. That and like any task, so whether it be chopping vegetables, um, or even just doing like cleaning up my house. Like when I'm cleaning up my house, like I'm thinking all about like, ooh, I'm at this house and it's like getting. I'm I'm naturally a messy person, so when I'm tidying up my house, it's a lot of work. So I have to ensure that I'm in the moment to ensure that I'm uh, leaving a a good impression or leaving the space clean, uh, that doesn't get too angry at me.
1: (laughs) Got to keep, got to keep wifey happy. Um, last, last question, Ashley, where, where do you like to rest? And just as a reminder, uh, for the folks listening, um, rest is a concept that, um, that I've sort of adopted here over the past few months. Uh, and it's an acronym that stands for reflective energy, that stimulates thoughtfulness so a place where you can go to for you actually a place where you go to get that energy um to stimulate thoughtfulness or to stimulate uh, a way for you to um you know either plan for the future or just to relax so where, where do you go to 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 rest to rest
0: yeah when i when i first uh thought about this concept of rest i was like oh well the best place to rest is my bed um i think that uh, my bed is perfect for sleeping also like the first thing i do when i go to bed is i i read and right now i'm currently reading game of thrones so like when you're reading game of thrones you can't really be relaxed because it's so immersive right Mm so to but from like the rest standpoint with the reflective energy stimulates thoughtfulness the thing that comes to mind um so i live in a California it's very hilly it's amazing there's a place. there's actually a hiking trail two mile hiking trail right behind my uh our, our townhouse community literally if I walk out the door and go 100 feet behind my house the trail starts there and what's really cool is that walking doing that trail um, I go without my phone um, and I just hear the sounds I smell the smells I'll tell you not only am I practicing mindfulness because I'm in the well actually Kind of mindfulness, but then I start just letting my mind wander. And when I let my mind wander, I think what's really interesting is the fact that it get a little bit more clarity. And on these walks, I find that I uh, compelling thoughts. And was actually on this hike, and on this hiking trail behind me, where I said, "Okay, I think I need." So I moved out here before the pandemic started, and so I was in the physical fitness and physical therapy. And it was on this hike that I realized I got a lot more clarity. I said, okay, well, what's my main purpose in this world? And my main purpose is to help people get pain. And then I started talk, like, talking to myself and having these inner thoughts being like, okay, well, I know that's the purpose, but how am I going to get there? And yeah. then so it was where I, I fix your sciatica.com came about because I said, uh, my original company for fitness and it was a brick and mortar gym in Hoboken, New Jersey. So when people saw my website, they're like, well, you're a gym, how can you do pain? So there was already a huge disconnect. And I said, how can yeah. I make it easier for people to get health and I help? And I said, wow, this is what, and then, and that, that was the birth, like going, yeah. this is, I think, um, the best place, this is where I would end up feeling my
1: behind me excellent excellent well thank you again Ashley and uh, yeah man we'll, we'll be in contact um, well there you have it folks I, I, again I appreciate Dr. Ashley Mack physical therapist coming on today to do this uh, episode with me um, I'll put his contact details in the show notes so you can reach him and reach out to him uh, definitely a contact you want to have so Ashley again thank you so much I leave you with this focus your thoughts on what is true noble righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Think about these things. I leave you with this. Focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable on some virtue or on something praiseworthy think about these things